Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Trinity Podcast. My name is Ashley Matthews, and this is the final week of our Lenten Reflection Series. This is also Holy Week. Tomorrow is Monday Thursday, the day when we're called by the church to celebrate the gift of the Lord's Supper and to remember and celebrate Jesus washing the disciples' feet. The word Monday comes from the Latin word mandatum, meaning commandment. Jesus says in that beautiful scene in John 13, after he's washed the disciples' feet, he says, A new commandment I give you, that you would love one another as I have loved you. So on Monday, Thursday, not only do we remember the Lord's Supper, not only do we wash one another's feet, uh, literally, in some places, but more importantly, or maybe as importantly, we're called to remember what it means to love as Jesus loves serve one another. Monday Thursday also marks the beginning of what the church calls the triduum, the sacred three days. For these three days, Monday Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday, we will mark time in a way that is set apart from other weekends. Some Christians will choose to pray more or longer or in some way differently than what is typical for them. We will also gather for worship on a Friday night, which we typically do not do. Fridays are for dinner parties, weekend getaways. But on Good Friday, we gather to read through the story of the crucifixion and remember together the death of Jesus. And then many Christians will keep a total fast from Good Friday to Sunday morning. These three days are set apart as holy time. This idea of holy time also appears in the Exodus story, in the 12th chapter. The chapter begins, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. This verse creates a kind of strange interruption in the story. For those of you who have been reading along, you've noticed chapter 11 ends with a warning about the coming of the tenth and final plague, the death of the firstborn. And so that's what you're expecting to follow immediately in chapter 12. But then almost like a timeout moment, God speaks instead at the beginning of chapter 12 and gives instructions for Passover. The month of Passover and the Exodus event will mark a new beginning for Israel. And with that new beginning, a new way of keeping time. In the ritual or liturgical calendar, which is in effect what this is, will serve for Israel to underscore and reinforce this really important spiritual truth that their beginning, their new beginning, new creation began for them with redemption, an act of deliverance. Holy Week and the church calendar more broadly do exactly the same thing for us now. Our liturgical year, which begins in Advent with the birth of Jesus, is meant to orient us differently than the world would have us to be oriented and to reinforce spiritual truths that we might otherwise forget. During Holy Week, we are called to re-enter the story of Jesus' final hours, not simply to remember what he did, but to reckon with what we still do, to see ourselves reflected in Peter's denial, for example, to see ourselves in James and John as they struggled to stay awake 
to pray. And even to see ourselves in Judas as he was leaning in to kiss and to betray his Lord, his friend. And then Easter will come, and we're called to remember other things. But not yet. Today, we are on the dark side of the cross. So what if we similarly re-entered the dark side of the Exodus story? In a similar manner, imagined ourselves fleeing into the night, leaving Egypt. Headed into freedom, yes, but a freedom that we, at that point, could not imagine, maybe even want. Much like the disciples following Jesus into Jerusalem and the dangers they knew were surely waiting for him there. Similarly, Israel had to follow Moses out into the darkness uh, toward the Red Sea. Something that certainly, almost certainly, could not have made much sense to them either. I've often thought about the fact that there was this moment when the disciples had to realize that Jesus was going to the cross. There was nothing they could do to stop it. Just as there was a moment when Israel had to realize that they were being driven into the sea, or they were going to be slaughtered by Pharaoh. And in both instances, all they could see in front of them was death and hopelessness. And if we're entering into holy time, we would say, rather, all we could see was death and hopelessness. Whatever hope of freedom or salvation we had was lost. And in the story of the Exodus, uh, that's when the angel of the Lord, the Christ figure, re-enters the story for the second time. He appeared firstly in the burning bush, or more rightly, perhaps the little thorn tree, all aflame with God's presence. I think a kind of poetic, beautiful foreshadowing of Jesus on the cross. Listen to the words of Exodus 14, verse 19. The angel of God, who was going before the Israelite army, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the darkness, and it lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. I've read this story many times, but it's never really occurred to me that when the angel of the Lord in the form of a pillar of light, moves from in front of Israel to behind Israel. The text tells us that he lights up the night, in effect creating daytime in front of him for Israel and darkness behind him for the Egyptians. He was the dividing line between death and life. And because he lights up the night, Israel is then able to see when Moses stretches out his hands and the Lord begins to drive back the sea, dividing the waters, revealing the dry land. Where there had been just moments before, 
only certain death. Darkness. There was now a future in which with God all things were possible. Just like that. Almost in an instant. Similarly, in the New Testament, when the women go to the tomb to tend to the dead body of Jesus, we're supposed to understand, putting ourselves in the story, that they're not just sad because Jesus has died. They no doubt also felt ashamed for themselves and probably for him. They were lost in whatever hope of freedom or salvation we had was lost. And then the words of John 20, verse 1. Early in the morning, on the first day of the week, holy time, while it was still dark, Mary came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed. And just like that, in an instant, where there had seemed like no way, there was now a way, where there had been just moments before only certain death, there was now a future in which with God all things are possible. The reason that we're called to re-enter holy time is so that we can be reminded that all that was is and is still to come. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What was true for them is true for me and for you, for us, now. So what would it mean for him now to light up the night for you? To roll the stone away? What would it mean for you to let go of what you think he should do and accept with him there is a way through the thing that feels like no way at all? Maybe even like certain death. I want to just encourage you to take time, holy time, to reflect on this question in prayer. To be reoriented towards what is and has always been. So blessings on you, friends, as you head into the dark, as you pray, keep watch, and hope against hope. Amen.